Romans chapter 6 and verse number 8. Amen. Um, I, am, I am known uh, to be passionate about things, and I'm also known to be excitable. And so few things tap into my excitement and passion more than Easter Sunday morning and an Easter message, praise God. And um, I told uh, Pops and Brother Odie uh, this morning that I have enough notes for three sermons up here. And so my simple prayer is that the Lord would show me what to focus in on and what to say for another day. Amen. So let's begin with these verses and we'll do a little bit of uh, introduction and then see where uh, the Lord would lead us from there. So Romans chapter 6 and verse number 8, it says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this passage is not just talking about what Jesus has done. And obviously we're here this morning to celebrate what he has accomplished, to celebrate what uh, he did when he lived a sinless life and then died on a cross for our sins, was buried, was raised from the dead on the third day. And then he ascended, the Bible says, um, publicly with many witnesses uh, back into heaven to be seated at the right hand of his Father uh, at the throne of the universe. And we honor him for that. But as I've already said a time or two, what Jesus did on this earth, he did for you and he did as you. He came as our substitute. So when we go back to his sinless life, when I could not live a sinless life, Jesus came as my substitute and lived one for me And then because I have accepted for myself what he did for me, he now has credited me with living a sinless life. This is why I now have been made right with God in the eyes of God. Not because I have earned it or it's something that I have done, but it's something that Jesus did for me and then gave to me. When I deserve to die for my sin and you deserve to die for your sin, Jesus stepped in our place as, once again, our substitute And he died for us, and he died as us. The Apostle Paul says, I was crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. He's identifying with what Jesus did, not just to recognize that Jesus did it, but once again, connecting with it personally. Here we see that, um, let's go back to uh, the passage above. Um, Notice verse 8, pay close attention to that third word. Now if we died with Christ... Now, if we died with Christ, and this uh, entire sixth chapter, at least the first portions of it, uh, are not just speaking of Jesus' death and burial, but he's speaking of our dying with him and our having been buried with him. Now, we also know that we have been raised together with him. So we see even in his resurrection that if we died with him, we believe that we shall also live with him. So when we go down to verse 11, it says, 
reckon yourselves to be indeed dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. That word reckon there is, is a very important word because it again is calling for you and me as born-again believers to make that personal connection to where we, we not only see and recognize Jesus being raised from the dead, but that we see and that we recognize that we've been raised from the get dead together with him to newness of life. So reckon means to put yourself in, in the place of, to, um, uh, to see yourself in light of these things. Now, if we wanted to follow this all the way through, because um, Jesus' completed work involved him ascending back to the throne of the universe. And as, as hard as this may be for a lot of people to connect with and understand, Ephesians 2 makes it very clear that we are seated together with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus far above all principality, power, might, and dominion. So there are a lot of people who recognize that Jesus has ascended back to heaven and that he is seated there with his Father, but not so many of those people who recognize him doing that have personally identified with that, seeing themselves in light of that accomplishment and that they are seated there together with him. So let's, um, again, lay some groundwork here. It's um, one thing and a very important thing to know what Jesus did for you. And the, and the screen overlay that, that's in front of you now, I, I capitalized uh, F-O-R, uh, but it's another thing altogether to understand what his completed work has done to you. It's one thing to know what he's done for you, but it's another thing to know what it's done inside of you, what transformation it has uh, you know, uh, created inside of you. Let me say this another way. It's one thing to receive for yourself what Jesus has done for you, It's another thing altogether to see yourself from that point forward in light of the transformation his completed work has accomplished inside of you. What his work has accomplished inside of you. Now, sadly, most people who receive salvation move forward from the experience with little um, to know. And I just lost my notes here, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. used to rattle me, but it doesn't anymore. Amen. You still with me? Praise God. Christy, I'm going to swap over just to uh, my backup here. Praise God. Everybody still good? You get anything out of this so far? Yes, no, maybe? I hope you are. Praise God. All right, so sadly, most who receive salvation move forward from from the experience with little to no change in their self-image, even though their true image has passed from death to life. Now, I want to weave an Easter message in with some really important things that the Lord's been teaching us of late here at Heritage. The Bible teaches that that we are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a physical body. Now, we could look at a lot of verses that, both Old Testament and New Testament, that support this. It's one of the most important truths you can ever understand as a born-again believer. So again, you are a spirit, you have a soul. Your soul is the part of you that thinks and feels and chooses, and then you your spirit and soul, like a hand in a glove, live inside of a physical body. Now, because you are a three-dimensional being, it is possible and likely that you have at least three different versions of yourself. And, and what we call these three different versions is, number one, your true image. Okay? 
your, your true image, it, it corresponds with your born-again spirit. It's who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Then we have our self-image. Please, 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 please pay very close attention to this. Your self-image is how you see yourself. It's what you believe about yourself. It's the opinions that you have of yourself. And that would correspond with your soul, your mind, emotions, and your will. And then there's this third image, and this is what we call our presented or our projected image. This, this is what we want other people to believe about us. This is how we want other people to see us and, and, and what we want other people's opinions of us to be. And so, um, again, do you see the three different versions or the three different images? Your true image, your self-image, and then your projected or your presented image. Each one corresponding true image spirit, self-image soul, projected image your body or your outward man. Are you still with me? Okay. Now, when Jesus um, made you new... He made you a new person. He made you a new creation. And this is what his sinless life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and ascension back to the Father was all about. It was all about making a way for you and me to be born a second time. For Father God to, to, be, to, be guide, to beget us, uh, that's a, new, a King James Version word, right? To, to birth us again. Um, the Bible says that Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, but when Adam and Eve gave birth to Seth, they gave birth to a son in their own image and in their own likeness. We were never meant to be in the image and likeness um, of a fallen man. We were created to be in the image and likeness of a risen Savior. Amen. And so when Jesus did all that he did for us, he did that so that we could become the new creation that we became the day we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now... That's your true image. Unfortunately, amen, <laughs> a lot of people's self-image uh, is the same as it was before they became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Most born-again people, at slide 17, uh, Christy, if you have access to it. Luke, I'm sorry, if you have access to it. Um, most born-again people struggle with this fundamental issue. They have a new man but are trying to live for God from an old self-image. They, they become a new creation, but they're trying to live for God based upon what they believe about themselves. I defeat, I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man if I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that only exists in my mind. As long as the image we have of ourselves reflects the old man we were, our conduct and condition of life will reflect the man we were, even though we are not that man any longer. Now, the Bible says that we as born-again believers, need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Um, this is The spirit of your mind is speaking of your self-image. And, and we need to begin to see ourselves in light of all that Jesus has done for us. This, is, this goes back then to what we started with this morning. That, that he, he lived a sinless life for you. He died for you and as you. He was buried for you and as you. He was raised for you and as you. And he ascended for you and as you. This is why, back to our text, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive in Christ unto God. Where how we see ourselves changes. 
I'm going to say this again. I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man if I insist on clinging to the inward image of my former self, the old man that only exists in my mind. Now, it's slide 20, Luke, if you don't mind turning there. Jesus has made you new, but how big of a difference will it make as long as you cling to the inward image of your former self? Jesus made you righteous, but what has really changed if you still see yourself as a sinner? Jesus has made you free, but how can you enjoy freedom in your life reality if you still think of yourself as an addict and a slave to sin? Jesus has made you a powerful force for Himself and His Father's kingdom, but what impact will that have if you continue to believe you're a weakling and a nobody with nothing to offer? Jesus has given you unimaginable blessings and wealth, but what meaningful difference will you experience if your opinion of yourself is poor, pitiful, and unworthy? Reckon yourselves to be resurrected. Now, a moment ago, I, I went through some things rather quickly. I want to um, not spend too much time here, but I do want to show you some Bible verses for the things that I mentioned. Because again, faith by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And if, if we want to believe these things about ourselves, then we need to hear what the Word of God says about these things. Um, it's, it's one thing for me to make a statement that's based upon the Word of God, but it's another thing for me to put in front of your eyes and speak into your ears what the Word of God says about these things because the Word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And, and in Hebrews, he talks about the mighty Word of His power. And what we understand about the Word of His power as opposed to the power of His Word is that when His words are spoken, the power to bring those words to pass in your life is carried through the vehicle of those words. Think of it like a water pipe that water flows through. Except for in this case, the pipe is the Word of God and the water is the power of God to accomplish the very thing in your life that the Word of God is speaking about. In Isaiah 55, he talks about this, how within every Word of God resides the, the power to accomplish, with the, the power to prosper, even the power to heal and the power to create is is brought from God into our lives through the means, through the vehicle, through the pipeline, if you will, of His Word. So I want to give you a verse or two, maybe a little more on some of these other things. But ultimately what we're talking about here is identifying personally, personally identifying with the work that Jesus has accomplished for you. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And he's talking about the the sacrifice and the price that he had to pay in order to redeem, in order to forgive, in order to remove our sin from us in its entirety. And the only way that would work is if God could find someone who was more undeserving of punishment than all of us together combined were deserving of punishment. And he found that candidate in, in his beautiful, eternal, spotless son, Jesus. Amen. And Jesus agreed before Father God created any single one of us, before he ever created Adam, Jesus had already agreed to come and to be the Lamb of God the, the, that would take away our sin to restore us once again in the right standing with our heavenly father so let's talk for a minute about his sinless life 
I'll draw your attention to, uh, first of all, to Hebrews 4 and 15. It says this, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Amen. There you go. Thank you, Luke. You have to keep hitting the space bar, brother. Praise God. So again, this is, this is the passage speaking of the sinless life. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I'm not going to go into all the statistics because, to be honest with you, they're a little bit nauseating. But Gallup recently did a poll um, about church attendance and, and, and the place God has in people's lives in America. And um, it's a bit sad to see uh, the decline in those things. I've been saying this uh, uh, at some point, you know, at the beginning of the, uh, of the pandemic. And, I, and I'll say it again to you this morning. Um, be very, very cautious of losing interest in the things of God. Um, if, you stop, if you stop paying attention to and showing interest to something, um, it's a use it or lose it kind of thing. And I think that's one of the strategies that the enemy uh, you know, was going for in this pandemic is to, is to hurt the church, ultimately hurt the church, and, and, and to affect the lives of born-again people uh, by directing their focus and attention and interest to other things uh, besides the things of God. Um, so please listen to me. Um, if your interest in the things of God is slipping, um, jerk yourself up by the bootstraps, a deliberate, intentional act. Amen. Um, you, you do not want to lose interest in the things of God. Uh, don't let that uh, slip um, in, in your life, please. Praise God. Um, and, and, and so one of the things that this Gallup poll is talking about is the number of people who identify themselves as Christians who believe that Jesus indeed committed sin. My friend, they do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. If Jesus committed sin, then His blood was just as polluted as ours. And Michael might as well have died for us because... Uh, you know, it's not going to happen. It's not, it's not going to change anything. Or you understand what I'm saying? Jesus' sacrifice, I, I didn't mean to sing you out there. You understand what I mean by that, praise God, my dear brother right there. Amen. He would have done it. I'm telling you, he loves you that much. Um, but his blood or my blood or your blood, w- w- because we're all deserving of punishment. Um, Jesus was more undeserving of it than we were deserving of it. That's how he was able to tip the scales of justice in, in our favor, is that he stepped on the other side of that scale and, and, and Him alone, His humility, His obedience, His sacrifice has provided an eternal salvation according to Hebrews for you and me. Another passage that we see in 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 related to this, it says, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The first he here is speaking of God the Father. The the him here is speaking of Jesus the Son. For God the Father made Jesus the Son who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. The next thing we see is Jesus' death. And for this passage, um, we'll look at Galatians chapter 2 and verses 19 through 21. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So a few things I want to point out to you here. 
is Paul recognized that when Jesus died, when Jesus was crucified, that as, as his substitute, that that was when Paul was crucified and punished literally for the sins that he committed. But notice he's saying, I was crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh, which is the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My friend, please, please, we've got to change our understanding of the Christian life as Jesus sitting up in heaven, wagging a finger at you, telling you what you should do and should not do. It's, it's way more than what would Jesus do. My, my friend, please hear me. The Christian life is Jesus alive in you and allowing him to live through you. But see, do we have an image of ourselves? Again, the true image that you now possess deep inside of your born-again spirit is the image of Christ. The Bible says that our self-image is, is now being renewed in the image of him who made him new and who created him uh, created us new men amen and so my friend when we look in the mirror do, do we see the old man we were or the new man in Christ that we have now become verse 21 he says I do not set aside the grace of God what is he talking about here? He's saying, if, if I could have done something to make myself right with God, if, if I could have be, behaved well enough, if I could have uh, loved enough, if I could have given enough, if I could have been to church enough, if I could have memorized enough Bible verses to make myself right with God, then there's no reason for Jesus to come. And so Paul's recognizing that his righteousness with God is not about what he's done, but about receiving what's been done for him. How about this one, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. He says it pretty straightforward here. He says, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, we'll talk for a moment about his burial. And I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. Romans chapter 6 and verse 4, it says this, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, in this next set of verses, hold on, turn in there, Luke, but in the next set of verses, we're going to see some mention of our old man. This is terminology that we see in different places throughout the New Testament. And the old man that you were... Anytime it's addressing someone who's received salvation, the old man is spoken of in past tense. And the reason the old man is spoken of in past tense is because this is where the old man you were was buried in a grave with Jesus. Jesus did not come to refurbish the old person you were. He came to kill the old person you were and create you again into a new man. Amen made according to, created according to God himself. Come on now, I feel some of you slipping away here. Amen. I'm talking about what he has done for you. It's very, very sad to me, and I'm going to go back to it. There are a lot of people who've been born again who have no idea what happened to them the day they were born again. A lot of people have received salvation, but they have no idea who they became the day they became a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is why so many people think of the of being born again as some figurative experience, as 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 some you know as, as some analogy or something along those lines. Please hear me. The the new birth is a literal experience when you are born again. Some 
something changes at the deepest part of your existence. And let me tell you what, what changed. The old man you were was buried in an unmarked grave and the new man you became is a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are not a factory reconditioned, refurbished person. He killed your old man and put a new man in you. Now, a lot of people hear that and they say, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't feel that way. My life doesn't look that way. It's because your self-image is the reflection of your life reality. So we've been made a new creation, but we're trying to live for God from an old self-image. And as long as your self-image reflects the man you were instead of the man you became, your life reality is going to reflect the man you were instead of the man you became. So now let's talk about His resurrection. Praise God. And these verses again, Romans 6, we just keep going where we were. Verse 5 through 11, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. When it says the body of sin, he's certainly talking about the old man. But have you ever heard someone talk about their body of work? I mentioned a moment ago, uh, pastors uh, Beverly and Lamar Jackson, and I didn't cover it all, half of probably what all they've done. But, but what we're talking about there now is, is like their body of work to this point in their lives in the ministry, all the different places. There were years that Pastor Lamar uh, was what's called a bivocational pastor, meaning what? Meaning he worked a nine-to-five job and plus at the railroad and then uh, worked in, in the ministry. Uh, and, and, and so when we talk about someone's body of work, we're, we're talking about the, the totality of what they've done, the totality of what they've accomplished. So when he's talking about the body of, uh, of sin, um, this is talking about your sin past, present, and future. You see, Jesus didn't just die for the sins that you committed up until the point that you were born again. The Bible says he's one sacrifice for all sin for all time. You say, Pastor, I, I, I just don't agree with that. That doesn't make sense to me. Well, when Jesus died for your sin and my sin, all of our sin was future sin. Are you following me? Jesus died for, for my sin before I ever lived to commit one. Are you seeing this? You say, well, how can he forgive me for something that, that, that I haven't done yet? He came to take away sin, not just cover it over. See, that's another mistake we make. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet born of a woman, when he saw Jesus, he didn't say, Jesus, come to forgive us of our sins. He came to take away our sin. To take it away. Verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you picking up what I'm putting down this morning? Let me tell you what I think is very disappointing for Jesus. It's when people come and celebrate His resurrection but never connect with it personally. Or how about this one? When His completed work is only presented in terms of a get-out-of-hell-free card. 
when his completed work for all of humanity is presented as receive Jesus so you won't go to hell and will go to heaven. My friend, Jesus bled to death naked on a cross, went to recover the keys of death, hell, and the grave, was raised again on the third day, and is now seated at the right hand of his Father, not just to secure your eternal destination, but he did all of that so that you could live every day of your life in victory. In victory. In victory. Do you see why the devil has tried so hard your whole life to paint within you a self-image of a loser? He's trying to, to make you see yourself as a failure. He's trying to make you see yourself as less than. You're not as good as. You don't measure up. You'll never be this. You'll never do that. You'll never have this. He's wanted you to see yourself that way. But please, 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 that is not how you're known in heaven. That is not who you are in Christ Jesus. You can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. This is who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. But again, I defeat my Creator Father's purpose for making me a new man if I continue to see myself as the old man I was instead of the new man I became. Now we come to His ascension. And I'm just going to encourage you now, don't choke on this. Don't choke on this. This this is... This is a strange doctrine for a lot of people, but there's a, there's a name for this doctrine. I'll tell you what the name for this doctrine is here in just a moment. His ascension. So Ephesians chapter 2, notice there's 10 verses here. We're going to read all 10 of them and do it smiling. Amen. But notice now, this, this brings together a lot of the things that we've already talked about. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you he made alive. Come on now, who did he make alive? Notice now, Romans 6, he, he goes, We, we died. Right, But now he's wanting to personalize that even further. And you he made alive, who were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. Notice past tense. Once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, what did He do? He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see that in verse number 6. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. My friend, listen to me. Your heavenly Father wants to make an example out of you. Now see, we hear that and we think we're in trouble. We're fixed to be punished. You know, in school, if somebody was going to be made an example out of, then they were going to be punished in such a way as to strike fear in the hearts of somebody else to not do what that person just did. But in this case, when He wants to make an example out of you, He wants to make an example out of you of His grace and His kindness. He wants other people to see how good He is by the life that you live on this planet.
Verse number 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what is this seated in heavenly places doctrine that that we find in this passage? Can I tell you what, what the name of that doctrine is? Salvation. This is what it means to be saved. This is what it means to be saved. Hallelujah. All right, just a couple more verses and then we'll partake of communion. Are you good? Let's go now to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is a very, very important passage because if you'll notice, I've used some different terminology this morning. I've I've referenced being born again or the new birth, and I've referenced receiving salvation or being saved or getting saved. Now, what this verse does is it takes both of those terminologies, and we see those throughout the New Testament, and it joins them together. Amen. Because what we, what we see here is that when the, the mercy uh, that has been given to us and the salvation that we have received and the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, notice that we were born again, that, that word begotten us again, means that He fathered us again. When did He father us the first time? He fathered us the first time when He created Adam. When did He, when did he father us the second time? When He recreated us in Christ Jesus. This is why the Bible teaches that, that we were previously in Adam, but we are no longer in Adam the man that we were in Adam is the old man, and that's the man that was buried with Christ. When we were raised up together to newness of life in Christ Jesus, this is when he made us a new creation and, and, and begot us again. This is where we were born again. But notice, we were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Colossians 1.18 Jesus here, and He, Jesus, is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. So what are we seeing here? Well, Jesus, I told you last week, Jesus was initially known as the only begotten Son of God. He is no longer the only begotten Son of God. He is now the firstborn among many brethren. You say, well, when was Jesus born again? Jesus was born again when He was raised from the dead. And we see that He is the firstborn from the dead, but He is not the lastborn from the dead. Because just as Jesus was born from not just, a wo- not just a tomb, but from a womb of death, Jesus was born from a womb of death, you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we now have also been born again from a womb of death. Last passage, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. For it was fitting for him, speaking of Jesus, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Remember, we all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23, God's highest and best for us. 
But Jesus has restored us back to the original design, original intent of God. Notice that it was fitting for him, to, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bring many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. This is speaking of Jesus. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. This word brethren packs a punch here. Let me tell you what it means. First of all, brethren means from the same womb. We were born from the same womb as Jesus. What was that womb? It was death. He became one of us and he died. Galatians explains this to us a little differently. We were all under a curse that we could not get out from under. Jesus became a curse for us because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us, not so that he could be cursed with us, but he became a curse for us so that he could come under that curse, lift it off of us and carry it away so that now the blessing of Abraham could come upon all of those who believe, even the non-biological descendants of Abraham. In the same way, he became dead with us, but remember remember now, because he never sinned, the Bible says the grave couldn't hold him. He came as a man and died and, and then brought a way out from under death for us. And now we follow him out of that grave when we receive that same salvation. So brethren means from the same womb. Brethren also means having the same nature. In Ephesians 2, I didn't point it out when we read it a moment ago. We won't go back there. But the Bible says that we were by nature children of wrath and that we were sons of disobedience. Notice he's talking about the offspring of God's uh, anger, the, the offspring of disobedience. What we see in Romans 5 is very simple. I won't go there now, but it simply says this, if you understand what it's saying. It's not your sin that made you a sinner, and it's not your good behavior that makes you righteous. It was the first Adam's sin that made us all sinners, and now it's the last Adam, Jesus' obedience, that gives us the opportunity to become right with God once again. And so the Bible says that that we, we now, because we've been born of Brethren means having the same womb, but it also means having the same nature. Well, how can we have the same nature? Because we were born of His seed. Seed determines nature. And then the third thing brethren means is enjoying the fellowship of life. Raised together with Him to newness of life. Here's the amazing thing, okay? We were created to do life together with God. Adam's sin separated us from that. When Lucifer fell and all the angels went with him, there was not even a search party sent out to see if they wanted to negotiate some return. When Adam and Adam's descendants fell, he sent prophets, he sent judges, he sent uh, ambassadors, he sent representatives, and then he sent his son to die for us just to give us the option if we should choose to come back to him. What are we celebrating this Easter? We've been born from the same womb. We've been born from the same seed. 
We've been born of the same Spirit. And we've been born with the same Father. We need these truths to become the resources from which our new self-image is being formed. Have you ever heard of a feedback loop? Singers, musicians, come on, praise God. Have you ever heard of a feedback loop? Whether you understand that terminology or not, if you've ever been in this building or any other building when a microphone fed back and it started screeching, Sometimes here it starts with a low rumble and it keeps going and going and going and you see people, you know, Greg diving for the soundboard, people covering up microphones. Here's a feedback loop. Are you understand what a feedback loop is? It's when the output through the speakers returns to become input through the microphone, which becomes output through the speakers, which becomes input through the microphone, which becomes output through the speakers, which becomes input through the microphone. Our self-image will never change as long as we're caught in a feedback loop that says this. This is how I behave. This is how I feel. This is who I am. Notice now, we're outputting emotions and behavior. And we're using the same emotions and behavior that we're outputting and allowing those things to become input to our self-image. The very self-image that determines our emotions and behavior, right, is being formed by our emotions and behavior. Are you hearing me this morning? We've, we've got to go to a different set of resources. Emotions and behavior may be facts, but facts and truth are not the same thing. Facts are subject to change. The fact is, a couple of days ago, it was 30 degrees. Amen? It's not going to be 30 degrees tomorrow. It'll be a different set of facts tomorrow. Your emotions and your behavior are in constant change. As long as you allow how you feel and what you do to, to, to feed back into your self-image, you're going to be caught in a feedback loop that you'll never break free from. But if you'll disengage from the facts and engage the truth, let the input of the Holy Spirit, let the input of the Word of God, right? Let that become the new source of information that you look to for an understanding of who you are. Amen. Amen. Do you bow your heads for a moment, please? Praise God. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Mark, you've talked a lot about salvation and what Jesus did for us. But maybe you're here this morning and you have never received for yourself. See, that's the key. It's one thing for Jesus to do it for you. It's another thing for you to accept for yourself what he's done for you. So if you're here this morning and you have never received for yourself what Jesus has already done for you and you would like to receive that this morning, could I please see your hand? You say, that's me. I've never received it for myself, but today's my day. I've never accepted it for myself, but today's my day. Anybody in the house, praise God. All right. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says, oh, by the way, if you have not yet, I know I've said this a few times already, but feel free, if you do not have an emblem, uh, you can scoot back and grab you one off the table. We'll, we'll wait on you. Amen. The Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed into the hands of those who would torture him, beat him almost to death, and then nail him to a tree, 
that he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. Now, in that Passover, it was a meal that originated from God delivering his chosen people out of Egyptian slavery. And one of the things that they had at that meal was a lamb. But when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, there was no lamb mentioned on the table because the lamb was at the table. And that lamb being Jesus, he is the lamb that was prophesied that would come to take away the sins of the world. And so he passed around the bread and then he passed around the cup. And he instructed the disciples to eat the bread and to drink the cup. Once again, highly significant because it was representing our ability because of what Jesus was about to accomplish to literally take within us the life, blood, the life's in the blood, to take within us the body of Jesus himself and the life of Jesus inside of us. And then he gave them instructions that we were to um, do that same practice, the bread and the cup, um, in remembrance of him and that we were to do it until um, he uh, returned. And so this is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. You maybe have heard it called that before. But I want you to make sure, I want to make sure you understand uh, today what this is all about. Now, you'll find two tabs on uh, your emblems, the cellophane, clear one on the top, if you'll pull it back first. Amen. And let's uh, pray over the bread. Father, as we stand here this morning, we pause to acknowledge what you've done for us, what you've given to us, the price that Jesus paid for us. His body was broken so that our bodies could be made whole. His body was broken so that he could become the head of the body of Christ, a body now that we're all members of. And so, Father, it's with humble thankfulness and recognition, awareness, Father, that we partake of this bread together now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. And you can remove the second be careful those pretty Easter clothes there. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I've said it countless numbers of times, but we get to stand in your presence this morning right with you, right before you. And drink from a cup that's sweet because Jesus drank a bitter cup all the way down to the dregs in the cup. All that he suffered for us, all the wounds that he endured for us, all the places that he was pierced for us so that we could be made whole and free again. Father, I thank you today that as we drink this cup, we're committing ourselves to working together with you and your word to have the right self-image, one that reflects our true image. Father, that we would remove the masks that, that we hide behind and come out open before you so that you can renew us and change us and transform us. Lord, as we drink of this cup, I thank you, Father, that our act of faith and obedience is releasing healing and restoration and refreshing into our spirits, into our souls, and into our bodies.
In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord. Now, the Bible says that after they finished the meal, that they sang a hymn before they were dismissed. And so we're going to sing together, and then we'll be dismissed. But as we're singing, if you would like someone to agree in prayer with you, these altars are open, and we would love to meet you here and pray with you about any need that you may have or any answer that you may be looking for today. Amen. Well, let's worship.